Morning, Journey. Nice to see all of you. A real cool guy named Leslie Newbigin, he said that the church is supposed to be the foretaste. What's a foretaste? I like to think about the definition of that word being like an appetizer, right? So the church is supposed to be like an appetizer of the full-on reign of God. And so when you think about that, that means that this gathering, us together, the family of God, the body of Christ, this is just an appetizer of what heaven is going to be like someday. This is just an appetizer. And we have much to look forward to, don't we? Much to look forward to. And in the meantime, we got a lot of work to do, don't we? It's a new year, and I want to say Happy New Year. Lots and lots of you, especially 9 o'clockers, you missed last weekend. You know, that means you stayed up way too late on New Year's Eve. We'll give you a pass on that one. But i got to tell you, I'm absolutely thrilled and excited about everything that God has in store for us as a church in 2012. I've been praying very, very specifically for every single one of you around the things that I challenged you with last weekend. Jesus, your 2012 anti Resolution. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'd invite you to get the podcast. I've been praying that your 20-mile marches with Jesus every single day. That's what I talked about last weekend. 20-mile marches with Jesus every day. Have you been on them? Have you been doing them in the word and in prayer and in listening and then in obedience and dependence of everything that God's asking you to do? I've been praying that they have kicked off the best start to a year that you've ever had. And I'm going to keep that up for you, and I'm going to keep that up for you. So press in and press on. I invite you to do that. For the next four weeks, we're embarking on a new message series called The Genius of Generosity. A guy named Chip Ingram wrote a fantastic book by that very same title. It was incredibly challenging and inspiring to me, and I wanted to share with you some of what he wrote, mingled in with some things that God's doing in and around me in the vein of generosity. And I think it's a very fitting start to a new year. Because when I think across all of the traits that I think God wants us to be and become as his church, literally the word generous is one of the top traits that comes to mind. We asked a guy named Doug Hartzheim, whose family is thick into the life of Journey, if he would talk on video for us just a little bit about their family's experience around generosity. And so roll that tape if you would, please. And as I look back in our, in our life, it's just been a, a fun and an exciting time. You know, there's been times when we've had money and there's been times when we haven't had money. Times when we're raising kids and struggling and we don't know where the next, uh, you know, house payment's coming from. But as we've gone through life, God's always been there and he's been faithful to us and he's provided for us. And it's it's been a great partnership with him. And I think, you know, in recent days, uh, God's spoke to me in the last few years here about giving sacrificially or giving out of abundance. You know, when you're younger, sometimes you don't have a lot of extra money. And, uh, you know, in those days, we always still got involved with whatever church we were going to. We were always in with both feet. The whole giving subject is important to me because if I look back to when I first came to a walk, a faith walk in Jesus, it was Margot's dad, my father-in-law, Howard, that had so much to do with coaching me and mentoring me about simply trusting in God. And then a year later, we had a pastor that became a lifelong friend uh, that just really died a couple years ago that uh, really together we just experienced a lot of uh, real faith walk kind of experiences in the giving area. So early in my Christian walk, 
it became really a part of our lifestyle for Margo and me to really test God like the scripture says. You know, in Malachi, it, there's a reference there where God says, test me and see if I won't pour out a blessing on you that there won't be room enough to hold. And then over in Luke, you know, these two scriptures probably have meant to most to me on this subject over the years, where, he, where in Luke it says, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For the measure that you give, it will be measured back to you. And so that's pretty powerful. And in each case, there's a there's a, part, a sense of partnering with God. And we always took that very literal. We never expected to get any certain level of blessing. We just knew that God said to do it, and he wouldn't let us down. And so we've done that. And it's really been quite a bit of fun. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I was in a church service actually down in Arizona, and I felt like God was saying, Doug, you've gotten comfortable and you're giving out of your surplus. You're giving out of your abundance. You're not giving sacrificially, and you could do more for me. So, you know, I I prayed about that, but it was one of those times, those special times, when I really felt God was, was getting a hold of me and saying, you need to go back to where you used to be 30 years ago, and you give till it, you hurt, till it hurts, and you give till you know you, you feel it, and you just trust me, and I'll, I'll take care of you. So... You know, Margaret and I talked about it and prayed about it, and, and we were able to do some things uh, in this journey uh, capital campaign that we have here that, that were probably a stretch for us. Um, and yet it was, it was a great exercise because it took us back to that trust and that faith walk, to, 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 a, to an area where only God and his supernatural could come in and, and do something, you know, and enable us to give that kind of a gift. And uh, so I think that was a, a good time for us in our, our current, in these more recent times. And I have to say, interestingly enough, in the last couple of years that, you know, I've had two of the best years I've ever had in the 37 years we've been married uh, financially, and, and I, I can't explain it. I don't know really how to describe it, and I don't know that I really would get into any detail on it, but I can just say um, he has done what he said he's done every time. That's not why we give. That's just a part of the uh, the reciprocal relationship that we have when we partner with God. And as we got in and we gave uh, together, you know, we were all involved with building projects at the church. It was just, it was fun all being in there just to see what God would do. You know, we didn't plan it. We just were trusting. And we didn't have any, none of us had any money. But we were, you know, borrowing money or whatever it took. I mean, this is 30 years ago. But we were just doing whatever it took to build the kingdom. And those are the best days of our lives. And uh, and so, you know, talking about the future uh, a little bit here, I I don't ever want to leave those roots. So I expect, fully expect, that as I go through life going forward, that God's always going to be coming at us, and he's going to say, I have a need. Will you partner with me on that? And if he does, my answer has got to be, you bet. Count us in. You know, and whatever happens, happens. We don't, we don't expect a big windfall back every time we give something. We don't, I mean, he redeemed us. He took, he took a life that was all fouled up, you know, took those sins, threw them in the ocean, made them white as snow, you know, and we're moving on. So I'm just, I just want to be in the game. I don't ever want to retire from that game. I want to be a participant all the way out. So if Brian comes to us 10 years from now with an amphitheater or something he wants to do out in the back of the church, count us in. We, because I know I'm going to get it back anyway. 
but I always want to be in the game. I never want to be on the sidelines of that whole giving thing. It's just, like I said, I can't explain it. And, and all I know is it works. So if it's working, count me in. I don't want to be on the sidelines. Thanks, Doug, for sharing. We're going to have a testimony kind of like that each of these four weeks in this series. No show of hands on this one. Keep your hands down. Just answer in your head and in your hearts. How many of us actually think that being generous is reserved for the uber rich? People like lottery winners, those who started software companies, eventually sold them for multi-millions of dollars. Generosity is reserved for professional sports players, people earning eight-figure salaries and the like. How many of us actually think that generosity is reserved for only the uber rich? I'll bet if we actually did a survey, a raised hand survey, I'll bet more than a few of us would admit that we actually think that way. I'd even be willing to bet that lots of people would say that lavish generosity requires us first to have huge stockpiles of cash and assets laying around. How many of us say things like this? I'll develop my generosity muscles someday when I have piles of extra cash to spread around. Generosity will be something I do someday when I'm not just living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. But I got to tell you, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Because being generous has absolutely nothing to do with how much money you have. And actually, generosity at every income strata is sheer genius. Why that choice of words? Why the genius of generosity? Let me show you. That word genius is a great word. It comes from a Latin word that means to produce. We all know what that means, right? So genius really conveys the sense of quality or natural ability, doesn't it? We use the word genius to describe people with incredibly high IQs and so. I was with a church planning friend of mine from another state this past week. He was talking to me about his family, the layout and landscape of his family, and he was talking about his oldest son in particular. He wasn't bragging. He was just telling me about his very cool son. And he told me about a time just the other day, they were at this dining establishment. His son is seven years old. And his son stood looking up at the menu board and said, Dad, I want a hot dog and I want the chicken strips and that'll be $3.83. Like that fast. And his dad was sort of caught off guard. He looked down and $3.83. He looked up at the board for some length of time, did the math, and, and well, What do you know? His son was precisely right. The chicken strips and the hot dog were indeed $3.83. When he told me that story, I responded with, oh my gosh, your kid's a what? A genius. Your kid is a genius. Because geniuses have brilliant intellect. They have brilliant skills, don't they? It's something that I've never, ever been accused of. And then that word generosity. In Hebrew thought, in Hebrew language, it actually means to saturate with water. Generosity means to saturate with water. Now, what does water represent? It's the universal symbol of life, isn't it? So generosity in Hebrew thought, Hebrew language, means to saturate with water and overflow in such a way that it actually brings, it delivers life to people. Then you look at the word generosity in the Greek. Generosity means ready to, it sort of has a conduit implication to it ready to distribute so that others will be blessed. And so you take the word genius, you take the word generosity, and you load them up together, and it all means that generosity really at its core is a life that's overflowing with care, concern for God's kingdom, for others, and it is a brilliant way to live. 
for the rest of our time together today, I want to step you through four very straightforward reasons that being generous is indeed the most intelligent way to live. Four reasons that generosity is genius. Number one, frankly, generosity changes our lives. Generosity at its core changes our lives. It's really about as practical as you can get. Generosity just flat works. Did you know, for example, that medical and scientific research bears out again and again that generous people are healthier, generous people live longer, generous people feel better, generous people find themselves being blessed in ways that defy the imagination. And we hear those kinds of results, like people live longer, they're healthier, they feel better, and they sort of surprise us, right? But they shouldn't surprise us. After all, these are biblical things. Jesus tells us, after all, Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then over and over and over again, all throughout the Proverbs, we see stuff like Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. For example, healthier And so, now that word prosper implies that generous people will actually be fat, as in F-A-T kind of fat, and not meaning that they need to join up with Charles Barkley on the Weight Watchers plan and lose weight. I'm not talking about that, but generous people will be fat in that they overflow with abundance. That's what's in view, Proverbs 11.25. And the Bible says it again and again and again. Generosity changes our lives for the better and is actually one of the keys to a life that is fulfilling. It's one of the keys to a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. Generosity simply works. Now, I also got to tell you, greed does not work. Greed simply does not work. Now, buckle in, and let me show you something. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And when I say buckle in, I mean, like, buckle in. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Now, if you don't know this story, uh, uh, nobody's ever naming their kids Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? Let me show you why. He brought part... uh, uh, Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. Oops. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. That's intriguing to me. Right? He's, her husband is dead and buried three hours ago, and she doesn't have a clue. So in she walks, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. 
And she's looking around like, well, what, what? and instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now hear me. Please, please hear me. I'm not telling you that story so that verse 11 comes true around the life of Journey Church. Like great fear gripped the entire church. No. That's not it. It's not about Ananias and Sapphira dying. I show you the story to make the point. Generosity works. Greed doesn't work. Greed wrecks stuff. It wrecks all kinds of stuff. And you know this already. Greedy, miserly, selfish people, at their core, they're quite miserable, aren't they? When was the last time, for example, that anybody held up Ebenezer Scrooge as a role model to be emulated by America's young people? Like, never, right? Now, sure, Scrooge had all kinds of money, But he didn't have relationships that filled him up. He didn't have relationships that brought him any joy. Check this one out. When was the last time you ever heard a major lottery winner talk about how much fun it was to win the lottery? Never. Lottery winners are quite on the other side of the coin. They're always talking about how winning the lottery was like a curse on their very existence. Everything in their life changed the moment They won the lottery prize. Their perspective changed, and I don't mean for the better. Their relationships get all mixed up and not the good kind of mixed up. How many times have you seen, maybe even you've experienced this, families that get torn apart when they have to sort out a rich relative's will? It happens all the time because greed creeps in, selfishness creeps in. Pretty soon, everyone across the whole family is angry, bitter, depressed and so because greed and stinginess empties our hearts like that fast but not generosity generosity fills us generosity changes our lives for the good number two generosity actually connects us with others generosity connects us with others there's something incredibly powerful about the lift that we get when we go out of our way to bless someone encourage someone give a gift, isn't there? Something kicks loose inside of us that connects us up with the person or the people we've blessed via our generosity. I promise that if you bought a pair of shoes, it's just a pair of shoes for Operation Soul Connection for the kids at the Bright Hope School in Ethiopia and Bright Hope Church. If you bought a pair of shoes for them, I want to say way to go, good job. But you, if you did that, you have a connection. You feel a connection with the kid who's going to wear the shoes that you bought and you don't even know them. You might not ever meet them. But you feel a sense of connections. By the way, lots and lots and lots of those shoes left this week and they're on the ground already in Ethiopia. We couldn't get all of them in on this shipment and this trip, but they've started their way over there. So some of your shoes are there now, probably being worn even as we speak. And you're connected at a soul level to those kids. Last Christmas, a friend of mine called me up and he said, look, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I have absolute and desperate need of a car. And he told me this long story about how old and how broken his car was and it was going to cost him. His car had actually caught on fire and he was in the midst of trying to repair, I mean, a car on fire and he's trying to repair it and put it back together. And we just quickly figured out that it was going to cost way more to fix it than it would just to get a different one. The problem was that he didn't have the money to be able to just go out and buy a different car. We called another friend of ours and we told him about our friend's car plight and he said, well, let me work on it a bit. And he did and he called us a few days later and said, get over here. 
Get some pastors around Journey over here. Invite your friend who needs the car. I've got one that we're going to give him. And so we did. A few of us went over together and in walked our friend a few minutes later who needed this car. And he had no idea what was going on. And we told him, look, we're just thrilled to get to give this car to you. We walked out to where the car was. We gave him the keys. And he was stunned. I mean, like genuinely stunned. Lost for words kind of stunned. Now, we who got to be a part of giving that car, we were just as moved as he was. And that act, that lavish act of generosity connected us to that gentleman in a way that could not have been brought about by any other means. And it's like that every single time we're generous. Whether it's giving a car or whether it's giving a cup of coffee, our generosity opens doors with people that we would not ever get to walk through had we not been generous. Generosity connects us with others. Number three, generosity actually helps us invest in what matters. Generosity, as a matter of fact, ensures that we invest in what matters. And no matter what any investment advisor ever tells you, generosity is the only, and I mean only, guaranteed high-yield investment. The only guaranteed high-yield investment. It works like this. Every single thing that we ever do is an investment. We're always pouring our time, our talents, and our treasure into something, aren't we? And those places and people into whom we're pouring our time, talents, and treasure are very near and dear to our hearts. And you can be about investing your time, your talents, and your treasure randomly, absolutely. Lots of people are about that. Or you can invest them quite strategically, quite intentionally. No matter how you do it, randomly or intentionally, you're making investments. And investments all the time have returns, don't they? You know this. And they have good returns or they have bad returns. It's the whole you reap what you sow principle. Whatever you sow now, you will reap later. Jesus taught that. And he also says, now look, if you want to be absolutely insulated, protected from bad investments, if you want to avoid the devastating consequences of poor investment choices down the road, simply be generous. Live generously. Check out Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, the words of Christ. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus quite emphatically says at the start of that passage, don't store up treasures here on earth. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Now, some people read that verse and they go, well, then it must be wrong to save and to invest and to plan for the future and enjoy nice things. Jesus even says as much, they say. But it does not mean 
that? How many other verses all throughout the scriptures talk about the high value of saving, the high value of investing, the high value of planning, the high value even of enjoying the fruits of your labors? A whole bunch of scriptures talk like that. So you see, Jesus' prohibition against us storing up treasures here on earth is directing us not to be greedy, not to be overly pleasure-seeking, not to be a hoarder with our saving, investing, planning, and enjoying the fruits of our labors. Why? Because he knows that savings and investments can disappear in literally just the blink of an eye. Stock markets rise, stock markets fall, banks even fail. It is all incredibly vulnerable. And Jesus is trying to keep us insulated from that level of investment vulnerability. Jesus says it is absolutely unwise to stake so much on things that are absolutely uncertain. That's why he follows up that hardline directive with wise positive instruction. Instead of storing up your treasure here on earth, what's he say? Store your treasure in heaven because they cannot be destroyed there. They cannot be destroyed there. As part of my salary package that you pay my family and me for leading journey, you actually make a monthly contribution to my retirement fund. It's a 403b plan, sort of the church equivalent of a 401k that you might be familiar with. Well, a few years ago, we got to the point in Journey's life when it was quite obvious that we needed to buy land and start to develop a ministry campus out of which we would engage and serve our community. To do that, we did these capital campaign initiatives. Lots of you have been around them, in them. You heard Doug talk about them a little bit. They're really these three-year generosity efforts where we invite the whole church of Christ to give generously above and beyond the tithe to help get this land bought, get this facility put up, and so. Now, the Hopkins family doesn't have much discretionary income, frankly, to facilitate a whole lot of above and beyond the tithe kind of giving to projects like these. But Dana and I still wanted to invest considerably in what God was doing in and through Journey. So Dana and I, we were scratching our heads, trying as hard as we could to determine how we could give as generously as we could. We determined that selling a child or two would violate some deeply held convictions we both had. We quickly ruled that one out. Our conversation, though, turned to those monthly contributions the journey makes to our, quote, retirement account. We decided to give all of those monthly contributions for a season of time as another way of generously giving towards God's work above and beyond the tithe. So instead of going into our 403B plan, journey simply transferred that money to the capital campaign initiative on our behalf. And I got to tell you, I am so incredibly glad that we did that. You want to know why? Now, absolutely. By doing that, we got to be in on buying this land and building this building from which lives are being eternally transformed by Jesus. But really, it's more rudimentary even than that. See, if we hadn't given those funds to God via Journey's capital campaign initiatives, if we had just kept depositing that money into our 403B plan, I'm telling you the truth, it would be gone today. Like, poof, vanished, lost forever. The only thing we would have to show for it would be a statement that says that your money went rapidly away. Now, how do I know? 
because almost all of the other money that we had invested in the years before Journey into that 403B retirement account with all the market volatility and so the past few years is nearly gone. Nearly gone. But not the past six years retirement fund contributions because we invested them right here. We invested them in what absolutely matters, into God's kingdom via Journey Church. And right now, no matter how up or how down the market is, that money is paying life-transforming, eternity-shaping dividends and is going to continue to do that all the way until Jesus decides to come back. And Jesus says, look, storing up treasures in heaven is in your own best interest. Storing up treasures in heaven is in your own best interest. In the long run, you'll be better off storing up treasure in heaven than any other investment choice you could make because the most significant return on investment comes when we take our material possessions and turn them into eternal investments. Investing that way has both life and eternity transforming impact. So it raises the question, how in the world do you store up treasure in heaven. The Bible lays out a couple of ways. Number one, you give to the work of the gospel. Storing up treasure in heaven looks like giving to the work of the gospel. That's what you do when you give generously to Journey Church. You're helping God's word go out. People hear God's word. They respond to God's word. And I don't just mean in this room on weekends, but across the entire life and ministry of our church. In all our ministries, all our outreach endeavors, people hear and respond to the word of God. They cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ. Their lives are transformed and their lives are eternal. They'll be with us together in heaven someday and they know that your generosity made it possible for them to be there too. Giving to the work of the gospel is storing up treasure in heaven. Number two, generous acts of kindness are also storing up treasure in heaven. Matthew 10, 42. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. If you give even a pair of shoes to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. If you dig a clean water well for one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Now those rewards and that repayment that come from the storing up of treasures in heaven, they're not now rewards. They're not now repayments. It's not the heavenly ATM machine. They are eternal, and they unfold in eternity. Generosity helps us invest in what matters. Fourth and finally, generosity at its core, it frees our hearts. Generosity frees our hearts. You see, all of Jesus' instruction to us about what to do and what not to do with our money, it isn't just about sound financial management principles. It's about something so much bigger and so much more important, it is all about our heart. The spiritual root of Jesus' entire teaching on money and possessions is summed up in one tiny little phrase. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. What we do with our money, what we do with our stuff, is the mirror of our heart's posture before God. I've said it a lot over the years. If you want a very accurate accounting of your relationship with God, Look at your checkbook register and your credit card statement. 
follow the money trail. There's the answer of who and what we're really devoted to. Jesus says, look, very simply put, there are two kinds of treasure in this life. The temporal, the right now kind, and the kind that lasts forever, the eternal kind. And the question that Jesus puts to us is, what kind of treasures are you going to make your life about? What kind of treasure are you going to make your life about? The now kind or the forever kind? And Jesus says, you cannot have it both ways. We try and we fight and struggle. You, you can't. We have to choose, he says. And when we, to the core of our being, get that life is really all about our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and making a forever impact with this one and only life that he's given us, it's obvious the one we're going to choose, isn't it? We're going to choose the forever kind of treasure. And then we're going to set about rearranging our lives in such a way that it maximizes eternal forever impact. We're going to be about investing in what's going to bring the greatest return on investment. Not because we're more godly, not because we're more noble, but because very simply, it's sheer genius to live that way. Would you take your stuff and set it aside, please? I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and just interact with the Lord around this stuff. ask you to stay in a posture of prayer and listening to God I don't want you to do any backward looking just don't think about the rearview mirror it's in the rearview mirror leave it there but I want to ask you this question only looking forward which kind of treasure are you going to live for the here and now kind or the kind that lasts forever. The kind that changes lives for eternity. Where are you going to store up your treasure? Here, where it lives in pretty constant peril, or in heaven, where its return on investment is guaranteed to blow away your wildest expectations. And I just invite you in these moments to transact whatever business you need to do with God around those questions. Any others that he might have brought to heart and mind during this time.
And while you're still in a posture of prayer and listening and interacting with the Lord, at its core, this generosity concept gets to the very nature of who God is. And John 3.16 is one of the most profound and yet simple verses in the entire Bible. For God loved the world. That's you, by the way. For God loved you so much that he gave. He generously gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's love for you compelled him to be generous to the level of giving his one and only son. It wasn't like God had stacks of sons running around the halls of heaven. He gave his one and only son. Talk about generosity. And he gave him to die because he loves you. And God invites all of us to respond to that incredibly generous gift. And our response is through giving our heart and life to him. Which is what he wants more than he wants anything else. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants the core of your being. And because of his generous act, God says, look, you can step away from whatever method it is that you've been chasing to try to fix yourself and earn your way to God. You can put down all of your self-improvement pursuits. And you can just simply respond by giving your heart and your life to him. And you can come home to God today. He can forgive you and he can wash you clean in the shed blood of Jesus who died so that you could live with him both now and forevermore. And maybe God's knocking on the door of your heart in that way today. You can respond to him. You can answer that door by praying along with me like this. God, I get it. I'm a sinner and I utterly need you. And I thank you for so generously sending Jesus to die in my place. I just say thank you. Thanks for setting me free to a new life in you here and now and eternal life with you in heaven someday. And in response to your generosity, God, I give you my heart. I give you everything I am. And I ask you to wash me and make me clean, make me new by the power, Jesus, of your death, burial, your resurrection. I'm yours and I love you. And if you're praying with me there and if you're choosing to step into a relationship with Christ, that is the biggest decision of your whole life. And it's so big that around here we invite people to tell us when they make that decision and I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. It's just me, you, and God looking around this room right now. Nobody else is. If you prayed with me just then, would you boldly lift your hand and lock eyes with me and just say, yep, that's me today. I'm stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can do that now. There, yes. I stand with you. I say yes with you. Absolutely, yes. Oh God, we are in awe of your generosity and we receive the gift of Jesus Christ and we say that we actually want to emulate 
you and him in our generosity. So God, make us generous, please. It's all about you ultimately and it's wise. It's genius to live generously. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk that out moment by moment, day by day. That generosity would be hardwired into our DNA as individuals and God as a church community. That as the watching world looks on us, that they would say, my oh my, they are such generous people. That we would have that level of testimony, please, in our community. We love you. We worship you. You are our king. And we adore you with our very lives.